Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season on the podcast, we're chatting with some of our other work friends from across our country who are a part of the Youth Unlimited YFC family. We'll hear their stories, why they do what they do, and how they're furthering God's kingdom in Canada. So clean your house, jump through some leaves, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we have Judy Ricicci, who is an author of the book, By the Grace of God Go We, as well as a director of partner development at YFC Winnipeg. We just wanted to let you know that today's conversation is a bit of a longer conversation, but it is an amazing, rich conversation that we know you're going to love. We also just wanted to give you a heads up that in our talk today, we do have some mature content that gets scattered throughout the conversations. Nothing too major, but we just wanted to give you a heads up before listening. So enjoy. Well, we're officially recording. Thank you so much for being here, Judy. We are so excited. And to start things off, we are going to start with some fun facts to get to know you a little bit. So to start off, tell us where you grew up. Well, actually, I started my life journey in Ohio. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. From there, I moved to Port Charlotte, Florida. And then somehow... God brought me up to Winnipeg, Manitoba. So from the extreme cold to the extreme warmth, back to the extreme cold. Lucky me. You know, I can't say that I love the cold, but I'm happy that God brought you to Manitoba eventually because now it has led us to this moment where we can record the podcast. So next question is, what is your ideal day? Ideal day? Oh, well, one, I'd love to start with reading the word and praising God. And just having the time to be able to do that um, is special for me. And working in ministry, we can. So to me, I have the the dream job because I can um, start with the Holy Spirit and God. And then I would say um, just being able to accomplish the work that God has set out for me for the day. And You know, I'm a fundraiser, so my goal is to always bring revenue and money into the ministry. And, you know, when I get those yeses and I get those, sure, we'd love to um, donate or we'd love to be a part of your ministry. Those that's music to my ears, because I know at the end of the day, we're helping young people discover their full potential. Mm -hmm. And so we can't do it without the partners and without the donors and without the money. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we wish we could. Uh, but all of it has to play a role. And so my dream day is just having everything be a yes for the day in whatever I need to do. Oh, I love that. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Oh, well, obviously Jesus would be my first one. (laughs) (laughs) He'd probably be my second and third too. Um, Mm. Definitely, um, Boy, to sit at the feet of our Lord would be an incredible experience. Um, Who else? I would love to be with my mom again Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't understand her as well growing up as I do now. And then... The world is your oyster in this one, eh? That's I don't think I have a third other than, you know, I'd go back to Jesus. Like, 
He would be my dream. Okay, my brother Danny. I would say my brother Danny because he passed early and just to have that time again would be precious and to know what it's like in heaven because I know he's there and I know he is excited to share with us everything that he knows now that he didn't know before he went and um yeah he would be he would be a fun guy to go for a tour of heaven with <laughs> fun i love that you could have jesus twice if you wanted to uh where is the best place you've ever been well as a family we love the dominican and the beaches in punta cana um it's relaxing it's fun I love the ocean. I love the water. I love the beaches. Uh, I also have been to uh, the Keys, and my brother has taken me out on his fishing boat, and we just go out into the middle of the ocean and fish. And I just find that so therapeutic and so rewarding because it's us and nature and God. Yes, I just every time we ask this question, I just I just get so antsy to travel. So that's fun. Uh, another fun question. What is an item on your bucket list? One item on my bucket list is to go to Italy. My my um, husband's family's from uh, is Italian and they're from Italy. And of course, it's got oceans and waters and beaches, too. Uh, but it's also got the culture, which um, my kids have been brought up with and and my husband has been brought up with. But I haven't actually seen firsthand, you know, in in the climate of Italy. Oh, sounds so fun. Uh, last question. If you were not working at YFC, what would you be doing? Serving God somewhere. Serving God. Um, everything that I've done in my life has pointed back to him. So wherever he leads me, I will go. Oh, well, I feel like we're already getting to know so much about you and it just makes me more excited about this conversation. Uh, but aside from these fun facts, just tell us about yourself. Sure. So right now I'm the director of partner development in Winnipeg, Manitoba at the YFC Winnipeg there. Uh, we're located at the corner of Higgins and Main Street, which is probably your toughest hit area of our city. So we look out on a lot of... Um, homelessness and a lot of people with uh, addictions and uh, mental health issues and challenges. And as I look out my window, my hope and my goal is to transform that community to one of hope and uh, purpose and Christ-centered. That would be my, uh, my hope for the area. Um, I love my job. I love being able to support staff and the people who serve in ministry. You know, I always say to people, I don't do the work. I just get to brag about all the people who do the work. And I love bragging about mm -hmm. our staff and, and our frontline workers and our directors and everyone who's in ministry. I love being able to share the great work that they're doing. And I love asking for money, which most people don't like to do. I actually enjoy saying, you know what? This is an investment in our community and our kids and our their future and the next generation and the kingdom. What greater... What greater place to to donate to than something like that? Yeah. So I love what I'm doing. And even though COVID has been a challenge, God has been faithful and taken good care of us. So God is good. 
Oh, well, Judy, thank you again for joining us. Um, The first time that we met and we chatted over Zoom, I told Ainsley afterwards, I'm like, this is going to be a good episode. So thank you for joining us. And um, you've personally encouraged me so much in the way that you serve Jesus faithfully, Um, your passion to serve Jesus and to follow him and your passion to serve your community is amazing. Um, And to hear your story today, super, super powerful and uh, a testament to God's provision and faithfulness and healing power. So we're going to dive right in. What did life look like for you when you were young? So, so funnily enough, I don't even know if funnily is a word, so we'll cross that one out (laughs) the window. Um, But in all seriousness, um, ministry was the last place I ever wanted to work and working in homelessness and with the most you know, um, challenged and um, marginalized sector was the last place I ever wanted to be. And it really has to do with my story. And so um, I grew up in a family of eight kids. Um, I was lucky number seven. I say that's God's number. But they're all (laughs) God's number. They're all God's children. Um, And um, I was actually a product of the welfare system. I was a product of exactly everything I look outside my window of every day in my office. Um, My dad was um, extremely abusive. Uh, In fairness to him, having eight children, I don't know how you keep them in line. Um, So um, it was a tough beginning. My, My mom, unbeknownst to us, suffered with mental health issues. And so there was a recipe there of um, calamity waiting to happen. And of course, um, the more abusive and angrier he got, the more the fighting escalated, the more uh, we could just sense as young children that the marriage was going to go. And of course, by the time I was eight years old, um, they separated and got divorced. Um, My mom was left with eight kids under the age of 18 to take care of. And of course, suffering with a mental health issue, she had not been on her medication for several years because we couldn't afford it. Um, so when when she was left with that situation, she pretty much snapped. And we didn't know what was going on. We were just kids. I was only eight. And um, you just know that it's not, it's not good. Um, I remember uh, coming upon her one day and she was just crying uncontrollably. She was weeping. And, and when a child sees their mother weep, it's scary. You're like, mom, what? Like moms aren't supposed to cry. Moms are the caregivers. Moms are the strong people. Moms are the ones who take care of you. And so when you see your mother cry, it's a moment you don't forget. And I came upon her and I said, mom, what's wrong? And she looked at me through her tears and she said, don't worry, honey. Everything is going to be okay. God has a plan. God is going to take care of each one of you children He has a special plan for each of you. Everything is going to be fine. And then it was right after that that we went into our first foster home. And so you hear these magical words of everything is going to be fine. But then, boom, all of us separated. And when you come from a large family of eight, you're rambunctious. You kind of have your, you know, it's like a big crowd. And all of a sudden, you're all alone in this home of strangers Um, it's quite a traumatic experience for a child. Um, I just remember I had a rosary that was blessed by the Pope 
and it um, was given to me by my godparents and before I left Ohio. So I went from Ohio to Florida during this um, Rocky Road marriage. Um, my godparents said to me, whenever you're in trouble, whenever you're not sure what to do, just pray to this rosary and God will take care of you. And so there's two moments in my life where God has been impressed upon me as someone to look to in my time of need. And so when I was in that first foster home, I just clung to that rosary every night and I wept and I cried and I wept and I cried. And I, looking back, I feel so sorry for my foster parents because I know they were doing everything they could to care for us and to take care of me and to love me in the capacity that they had. But when a child is losing their mother and their father and their siblings, you know, there's no replacement. Mom is mom, dad is dad, good or bad, they're all we have. And so that's what you want as a child. You want your mom and you want your dad and you want them to tell you that everything's going to be okay. Um, and I just prayed that my mom would get custody of us and prayed. And I was in that foster home, that first one for a year. Um, and each of us went into a different home and had a different experience. Um, but my mom, by, you know, sheer passionate will, and I don't know how she did it because she had been a stay-at-home mom, grade 12 education, you know, hadn't worked outside of the home with eight kids. How could you? Um, she managed to get us all back together into a home and um, did her best to take care of us. Now, she was selling uh, Mary Kay at the time and trying to do real estate, but real estate and sales like that are very sporadic. Um, it's kind of, you either sell a house and have a lot of money or you have no money because no houses are selling. Right. And mm -hmm. so before too long, we had no electricity, no running water, no food. And I mean, we were, we were on the edge of poverty before all of this happened, but now we were deep, deep in it. And unfortunately her mental health issues also took over. And so when we went home, we would find Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. She would either be very angry or very sedate or very happy. Um, but we didn't know what we were gonna walk into. But the longer we lived under these circumstances, the more she spiraled into the illness and we got more Mr. Hyde than we did Dr. Jekyll. And so um, we appreciated um, the highlights of our journey, which was ministry sowing good seed into our family life. So on occasion, we'd come home and there'd be a beautiful food hamper on our table. And, you know, when you have no food and you have no sustenance and all of a sudden there's all these groceries, it's like Christmas. You're just like, we're going to eat today. And I always tease people. I say, you know, think of the child when when you're giving to those food hampers, because as much as cornflakes and Cheerios is a nice treat, Captain Crunch is much sweeter when you're a kid. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like getting dinner and dessert all at the same time right so I always cheat and get the sweet cereals for the kids because it's like you know they need they need that lift that you know what we're thinking of you we know something's going on we might not be able to help you but we're going to give you all of that we can to get you through this time and um, believe me we went many 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 days without eating without having that so um, we appreciated all the ministries that were working behind the scenes, helping us. And that's why I love working in ministry, because now I see all the hard work that is being done. And 
um, it's heart work. And, and I can tell you that it makes a huge impact on a child's mental health and, and wellness when they know people are taking care of them. Um, but when you're going through it, you're still wondering, does anybody really understand? Because it's pretty awful. Eventually, because we went in and out of this um, having electricity, not having electricity, having food, not having food, eventually you start couch surfing because there's nothing to go home to. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim Huff, who is actually a YFC um, director, uh, I read his book, Bent Hope. And when I read the book, it said, many people are ho- homeless before they are houseless. And I'm going to repeat mm-hmm. that. Many people are homeless before they are houseless. And by the age of 11, I can tell you that was true in my life. I I had a house to go home to, but there was no structure. There was no loving family to greet me or to tell me to put on my clothes or to put on socks or to brush my teeth or to wash my hair or to take care of myself. And um, there was no food. There was no electricity. There was nothing but a shell of a house. And there was no home. Um, So um, I remember in grade six having one pair of pink bell-bottom pants. Thank God for bell-bottoms. They cover the feet. People didn't realize I didn't have shoes. Um, And you think, well, shoes, not too big of a deal in a sunny climate like Florida. But when you hit that hot tar, it burns the bottom of your soles. It's hot. The beach is hot. So it's actually a calamity, just like here in the winter when it's freezing cold. Um, You need shoes. You need the the basic necessities. Um, And I had a a two-piece bathing suit that I went to school. They were my undergarments and then a T-shirt. And I went to school in that almost every day. And I can tell you that it wasn't washed regularly. It wasn't, um, I wasn't groomed. I, you know, I didn't have the pretty hair. I'm, I'm in grade six, right? I didn't have the bows in my hair and I didn't have the washed face and the brushed teeth. And I can't imagine what I look like looking back. I don't know. But I remember walking down the street and when I'd walk down the street, because we walked to school every day and it was about a five kilometer walk, um, people would kind of walk around me. They would they would deliberately avoid the, the one-on-one hello kind of conversation that you would typically have. And I remember thinking to myself, what, are you afraid of me? Like, are you afraid I'm going to steal your purse? Are you afraid? Like, I'm a kid and you're afraid of me? I'm afraid of you. <laughs> and And what you're looking for is some sort of compassion and some sort of love. But because you look so rough on the outside, and we see this with our youth every day, and they come into our drop-in centers, they're a little bit edgy, they're a little bit rough, and people are afraid of them. They're kids. They're 12, 11, 13, 14. They're still kids. And what they're looking to us for is love and mentorship and hope and change. And that's what, you know, YFC does every day, which I love. Um, But when I was growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't have that influence. And so... Eventually, of course, trying to go to school under these conditions uh, was very difficult. Um, I did manage to make straight A's in grade six, um, but I missed like 80 to 100 days of school because some days I was just so tired. My brother and I and my siblings would just would hide underneath the bed or hide in the closet and just stay in bed and sleep. And my mom, being completely out of it, had no idea 
where we were, what was happening. So eventually I went from straight A's to D's to failing marks. By the time I hit grade seven, I was heavily involved with um, a, a friend and a boyfriend whose dad was the biggest drug dealer in town. So we hung out at his house and, you know, they noticed our predicament. They noticed that we needed stuff. So they were very happy to supply it for, for a small price. We, we needed to start selling some drugs. And so um, there I was in grade seven and I could easily carry half a pound of pot on me and sell it to the kids in school, deal it, make sure I paid, you know, the stepdad and um, have money little bit of side money and a little bit of drugs to get me through the days. And the drugs are, are a product of getting you through the days, getting you through the, the emotion of knowing your predicament, but trying to escape from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Drugs just mask a problem. They mask a loneliness. They mask, you know, the deeper um, issues that people are facing. And I think sometimes we need to really pay attention to that and try to figure out what those issues are. And we don't, we just go, Oh, they're, they're on drugs. They're messed up. No, they're hurting. They're lonely. They're, they need some love. They need, um, there's something deeper that we need to address and help them through. Um, the friend whose dad was the drug dealer was also a pedophile. So there were some challenging evenings of sleeping where I didn't know it at first. Um, nobody did. Um, but we'd wake up and we'd notice things amiss as far as um, panties on, panties off, bras on, bras off, that kind of thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, one time I was sleeping and, you know, I call it God's grace. God, God just... He was so graceful in my life because he gave me discernment and wisdom at such a young age um, mm -hmm. for some of these situations that I found myself in. And in this particular instance, I had had a fight with his son, who was my boyfriend, and I was lying on the floor sleeping and there was two or three girls in the bed. I mean, this was normal to have a lot of. And as I was lying there expecting my boyfriend to come in, I see and and understand that we got drugged pretty heavily so that when we passed out, we passed out. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden I see him tiptoeing into the room and it was like this big light went on. I realized that he was coming in and fondling us while we were sleeping. And it was a pretty shocking moment of my life where I just went, Oh my goodness. Like these are the people you trust, right? Mm -hmm. This is our normal. These are the people you trust. And this is happening. Um, so I told him in no uncertain terms in my angriest voice to get out. Um, and then I told the girls the next day and we tried to tell the mom that this was happening and she just wouldn't believe us. She just thought we were. Um, but I can tell you that many times she didn't come out of her room for the whole weekend. Uh, and we don't know why. We don't know what was going on. But um, for us, this was normal. I find out later as I move to Canada, no, there's nothing normal about that lifestyle. Um, but we're just going through the motions because we have no other options. We're trying to survive. Um, so when I did go home, my mom, as sick as she was, was always praying. And she always had faith in God. And she always had her Bible open. 
And she always had prayer teams praying for us. And it was those same prayer teams that would deliver those hampers, that would give us that sustenance, that would take care of us, even though we didn't realize at times it was happening. And I really believe it was the power of those prayers that got us out of our predicament, that got us through the lifestyle and everything that we did go through um, to get to the other side. Um, we had a friend named Lance. So, so I'd go home to nothing or I'd go to the drug dealer's house who was a pedophile. So sleeping arrangements were a little precarious. So sometimes we slept in the woods. Um, and this is 12 years old um, and 13. So I'm sitting there looking at kids today going, I can't imagine if it was my kid that that would be their life. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I can't mm -hmm. imagine when I walk into our drop-in center and I see these cute, fresh faces that that would be their life. But behind that face, it could be their life. You know, that's why we're there. Um, but um, we used to go out to the woods and sleep because in Florida that, that was possible. I mean, we see homeless tents downtown all the time. Um, we went to the woods because we felt we were safe. And we used to hang out with this guy named Lance. And Lance was a, a homeless teen who lived out in the woods. And we used to sniff with him because sniff um sniff is um where you take a cloth and you you wet it with a solvent you put it in a bag and you huff it and the fumes of the gas or whatever the product is that's in that bag goes right to your brain and it takes you away right away out of out of your situation to a different reality and when you're in that kind of living environment situation um you want to escape as quick as you can. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I understand people who go through that and why they do it. You know, we walk by them and we go, they're hopeless. When we should walk by and say, how can we bring you hope today? How can we help you? How can we make a difference in your life so that you don't have to make this choice anymore? Mm -hmm. Because it is an addiction, but the addiction is to get out of reality and into a new zone, right? You don't want to have to face what the bleakness of your life. And so, you know, when I uh, went into um, dealing with people affected by homelessness, I really understood their pain. And my hope and my prayer was that we would do everything we could to get them through that. Anyway, we went out to the woods one time and found Lance dead because he had sniffed himself to death. And that was a, a stark reminder to me and my siblings that we were living on the edge of death. You know, um, any minute we could ingest something or take something or do something that would kill us. And I remember my little brother was with me, so he would have been, you know, a year younger than me. And I was shielding him from this emaciated body that was, you know, we had to call the cops. And it was a pretty horrifying experience at that young of an age. And you don't think kids are going through this, but I can tell you if, if I went through it, the world hasn't gotten to be better. I don't see it improving. Um, I see a lot of our... our uh, at risk and poverty getting worse and worse and worse. And those are some of the conditions they're facing or some of the situations they're facing, whether it's abuse or sexual abuse or 
or drugs or gangs or violence, it's out there. Um, we are fortunate if we live in a world where we don't see it, but it exists. Mm. Um, and that's why you have Youth for Christ Ministries and drop-in centers all over our community to catch those kids and prevent them from going into the, the the gangs and the drugs and the prostitution and the options that the world has for them and giving them the option that God has for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, fast forward. Um, eventually, they discovered my mom suffered with a mental health issue. Um, and um, we went home one day to find out that um, we were going to be going into another foster home, and then finally a group home in uh, the middle of the state of Florida. They discovered she was mentally unstable. We, we Three of us kids moved to the Florida Sheriff's Youth Ranch. Um, my little brother stayed with another family, and my older siblings, they were just all on their own. They were on their own from the first breakup, the f- older mm-hmm. four. They were left to figure out how to figure out life. And so... Um, we went into this group home and I remember listening to the foster or the group home parents and they were like, yeah, so it was a new facility that allowed siblings to live together. Normally brothers and sisters were separated. And so back in the day when this was the first ever of its kind, uh, we were able to stay together, my brother and my sister and I, and there were other siblings in there. Um, and I remember listening to the group home parents and they said, yeah, it's sad that at 18, these kids are just going to be given a hundred bucks and their bag of clothes and good luck. I hope you make it like that's the fate because the the state will take care of us till we're 18. But beyond that, we're on our own. And I remember hearing the conversation and I was like, okay, wait a minute. Let's think back to what mama said. Mama said God had a plan. I don't think this is a good plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and, you know, as a young kid, you just don't, you don't realize the impact you have on people, but those mm-hmm. words of hope were important. I also had school teachers who helped us along the way, telling us that we were good in math. We were good at certain subjects, right? And those school teachers, I held on to all of those words of encouragement. It was like, feed me that because I need to hear that. Don't feed me that I'm garbage. Don't feed me that I don't deserve. Feed me that I'm worthy, and of course, that's what our God does all the time is he beats us that we're worthy. But um, um, I remember in that moment thinking, OK, what can I do or how can I help this situation? And I talked to the group parents and I asked them if I could write my dad a letter who at this point had married a Canadian and moved on to Canada. And they said, sure. Uh, they didn't have much hope that it would help because he wasn't friendliest guy when we were living with them. But at that point, I didn't care. I just wanted my my dad. I wanted a parent. I wanted somebody Mm -hmm. to take care of me. So I wrote him a really nice letter. It went something like, dear dad, you're an effing a-hole and we hate your effing guts. And you better (laughs) effing get yourself down here and get your effing children or we're effing never going to talk to you again. Mm -hmm. Love, Judy. Love you. I thought if I added love, that might help. So he did come and get us. It worked. And I say, imagine how God picked us up in the palm of his hand and moved us from sunny Florida, 2,000 miles away, 
to Winnipeg, Manitoba, the coldest place on earth. Um, not only does he have a sense of humor, but um, I just think prayer is so powerful because imagine what had to happen to put all of those things into place. A lot of different things had to happen for it to succeed. And God was working overtime and his angels were working overtime to set it all up so that we would have a stable home to come to eventually, right? It doesn't just happen. So um, he moved us to Canada and um, the irony in some of that is Florida, now I go back and it's beautiful. The beaches are gorgeous. The palm trees are amazing. It's just this idyllic setting. But when you're experiencing poverty and homelessness, you don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. You don't, I did not see that when I lived there. To me, it was dirty. It was street. It was, it was awful. And then I moved to Canada, which is cold and, and bitter and, and, you know, nine months of winter. And yet I came here and I met my in-laws who are Italian, who just loved me unconditionally and accepted mm-hmm. me. And I met my husband. And so what's cold became warm and loving and friendly and inviting. And um, it, when I look at the two, you know, there's no place I'd rather be than Winnipeg and in its culture and with its people, because that's where I found a place of belonging. That's where I found community. Right. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that Judy and just being so vulnerable. I mean, as you're speaking and you you mentioned that like there are so many girls you meet now that you think could have been in that situation and I just as you're speaking like my heart is pounding and, and yeah I, I'm picturing the different girls that I work with that are 11 and 12 and 13 and it's just such a reminder to me that you have no idea what is actually going on behind closed doors and just the depth of the stories of the people that, you know, I run into at my work, but also, you know, people that you're seeing on the streets, whether you're just passing them on the sidewalk or or like living on the streets as well as just in all of the neighborhoods in which we live, we have no clue what is happening. So thanks for speaking to that. And I am very thankful that that isn't where the story ends. You know, I love when you say I moved to a cold place, but it was a warm memory and where I shifted in these things that God did through you. So I'm really excited to hear how the story kind of continues and the things that happen. So can you just start to talk about when did you start to see things shift in your life? Well, it's interesting because, um, I knew what, first and foremost, I wanted to have children and I wanted to be a good mother and I wanted to give them everything that I didn't have, right? I wanted to have that mm-hmm. loving family, not not with the, the, the material stuff, but with the heart stuff, with the baking mm-hmm. and the cookies and the, you know, creating that warm mummy environment. And so I was blessed to be able to stay home with my kids um, while they were growing up. I worked part-time in their school so that I could continue to be with them. And then um, I remember um, I, you know, I was, the school was a ministry. It was a Christian school. So I felt like I was doing some ministerial work there. Um, But I remember God just giving me a wake up call going, okay, you've done everything you need to do for your family. Now that they're older, what are you going to do for me? It's time for Hmm. you to, start working for me. And I remember thinking, oh, well, I thought I was all the time. 
Um, and I was in between jobs and I remember going to, I went to a, a prayer conference and I had them pray over me for a job that would just fulfill me, fulfill me completely and wholly. I was doing accounting work. I was doing marketing work, but it, what, I was working for people who were making money, but there was no purpose other than for them to make money which is nice, but it's not a purpose, right? So I remember going, God, I want to do something that fulfills a purpose, that gives me purpose. And um, they prayed over me and they prayed that I would find the best job for me. And I had, I was working with a headhunter at the time and the headhunter um, brought all these jobs to my attention. But he also knew how much I loved my family and how important it was. They were still playing soccer. I had four kids going all over the city doing stuff. They were in private schools. So I was in my car more than I was doing anything. And as he's headhunting for me, he found this perfect job for me where I could work from home, um, work on a laptop and cell phone so that I could work in my vehicle taking care of my kids. I could work while they were playing soccer if I wanted to. And um, it was just a perfect fit where I could use my love of accounting because it was accounting software um, and my love of people, which was teaching the people how to use the software. So I would be able to, you know, be with people and be with numbers and, you know, best job ever. And I remember thinking I went through two interviews and I was ready to take it. And then I was looking at this article in the paper and it was a job for Silo Mission, which is a homeless shelter in our community. And I read the job and they were looking for an accountant. And I remember thinking, no way, God, I am not even thinking of that job. I remember thinking clearly you would have to have my headhunter phone me and off, like, tell me about it. Like, I am not applying for it. Well, the next day was Sunday and I get a phone call and it was my headhunter. No and he way. says, you know, Judy, I'm, I, I, I swear to God, he says, I know you were going to take this other job, but I was thinking of you and your passion and there's this other job that just came up and there was a pause and I went, it's silo mission. He goes, how did you know? <laughs> no way. Like, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to go for the interview. And honest mm. to God, I did not want the job. I did not want to work in ministry like that. And I, I rebelled in my heart hard. And my sister was like, Oh, it's perfect for you. And I'm like, yeah, it's perfect for me because it's not you. <laughs> you know, mm. and I did everything I could to talk myself out of it. But I went for the interview because I told God, if he wanted me to go, he'd have to call me. So he did. So I went. And I remember going, ah, the interview was good, but I don't think I'm convinced. But they called me for a second one. And I went, okay, Lord, I'm being obedient. But in my heart, I've already said no. Mm. And then I go for the interview, the second interview. At the end of the interview, they prayed with me, which really impressed me, not for them to get me, but for me to get what I wanted on my life journey with God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, that was pretty good. And then as I was walking down the stairs, I remember having this heart palpitation attack going, what if I run into one of those people? Like, this is a homeless shelter. This is right in the core this is right downtown. What if I run into one of those people? Now, imagine me thinking that after having been through what I went mm. through, but I just didn't want to face the reality, right? And then all of a sudden, at the end of the stairs, there was this guy. And there he was standing with his head looking dejected right down to his feet. 
And I thought, I, I can't walk past him without acknowledging him. That would be rude. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do what I would do if it was one of you. And I walked down the stairs and I walked outside and I looked at him with my biggest cheeriest smile and I said, good morning, sir. How are you today? And his eyes were right down to his feet. He reeked. He needed a bath. He more than needed a bath. He needed a complete change of clothes. But slowly his eyes came up to mine and he looked me in the eyes and his, his face went from shock to query to this biggest toothless smile of joy I have ever seen. And he smiled at me and he said, I'm great now. Thank you. And I thought to myself, if all I had to do was smile and, and give somebody a cheerful, warm hello, and it would change his countenance to that level, what could happen if we worked with them, if we actually went out of our way to make an impact in their lives? And then God sort of convicted me, and he said, Judy, he said, if not you, then who? He said, people aren't coming from other countries to take care of our poor, our impoverished, our young people, the people that need our help. People aren't coming from other countries to take care of our people because we're, they need us to go to their countries to help solve their problems. They think we have it all together. We're the land of the rich. We're the land of the privileged. We're the land of, you know, we got it all together. So if we don't take care of our own backyard, who's going to? Who's going to do the work? And it was in that moment that I thought, hmm, I, I was a poverty-stricken youth person. I, ha I, I had drug issues. I had, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. I've experienced everything that every one of the people who come through our doors has experienced. And I have succeeded, succeeded above and beyond anything they can imagine. So if it can happen for me, it can happen for every one of them. Mm -hmm. And it really made me realize that it wasn't my education that got me in the door to serve well in ministry. It was my, my background and my um, experiences that really allowed me to find compassion and care and love for a segment of society that most people try not to even see. And that's when I knew I had to start working in ministry and I had to start finding ways to make an impact for our community. It, it drove me to want to become a community builder and to bring people together across our city and across our province to be a positive solution for change to help people who need help. And mm -hmm. it's our citizens, it's Winnipeggers, it's Manitobans, it's, it's not a stranger. These are our neighbors. These are, you know, the Lord calls us to love our neighbor and this is what we're supposed to do. And this is our neighbors. If you work anywhere in ministry, downtown, um, especially in, in the more, um, uh, in the more needier areas, there's a chance that you're going to see somebody you know because you live in a city where people, stuff happens. People fall out of jobs. They, they get divorced. They struggle with mental health issues. These are our friends. These are people that need our help. And, you know, we, we think it's glamorous and glorious to go to another country to take care of their issues. But really, God is calling us to love our neighbor right here in our community 
And if we can get it right in our own communities, we can become a community and a city of hope that lights up our province, that lights up our, our country. And then as we become healthy and whole and strong, we can light up the world. Mm. But if we're, if we ignore the situation that we have in our own backyard, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and, and it consumes us so that we can't be the light for the world. So it made me realize we really had a choice to make and the choice was easy. Uh, I had a choice to make and the choice was easy. It was to start working there. And then of course, after working there for 11 years, I took a break and during that break, I wrote a book um, and I wrote the book and took care of my mother-in-law who suffered with mental health, uh, with dementia and um, was on her own. And so she came into my home and I cared for her. And the book was to bring all of my family's testimonies together because I realized that we all struggled and we all went through some of the worst things possible. But through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we were able to be transformed and get past those lifestyles. And we're all serving in ministry today. We're all giving back today. We're all making an impact. Every one of us are are committed to ministry and being a difference in our world. And only God can do that because we went in eight different directions. Yet mm. he pulled us all back to the direction he wanted us in to make a difference. And I'm just blessed and grateful that he did that for us. But what he did for us, we're just one small family. He can do it for anybody. If we make the right choices, if we, if we um, get the right help, because we all need help. We can't do it alone. Nobody can do it alone. We need our communities. We need our ministries. We need people to sow good seed into us and to build relationship with us, to show us healthy relationships, strong relationships, godly relationships, father, daughter, mother, daughter relationships that we might not have gotten at home. We need to find those mentorships and, and that's what helps us move forward and find a relationship with Christ. And that's mm -hmm. why Youth for Christ I looked at Youth for Christ next and I was like, oh my goodness, if we start working with the young people, we can stop homelessness. We can stop the brokenness. We can stop it all before it becomes a challenge or an issue because between the ages of 12 and 18 are the toughest years. They're the years where you're most vulnerable emotionally um, as a child. And if we can stop it, um, we can change our world. We can change the next generation. Mm. We can change the kingdom. Wow, Judy, I can tell that you are very good at your job, just even in the way that you articulate your story, God's redemption, uh, mind blown. And Ainsley and I are already on board. We work for YFC in Southwestern Ontario. I'm like, let's go, let's do this. So thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your vulnerability and sharing those things. I think I'm just reminded that um, serving Jesus doesn't have to be in the in the big things, but we, we can do this. We can say hello to people on the street. We can say hello, make things for our neighbors and um, all those things. So thank you. I am really excited to hear about this. I would love to hear how you started serving at YFC. So interesting, because um, Tim Cole played a huge role in my learning about YFC. Oh. Um, when I was the accountant at Siloam, I started as the accountant and the accounting job is very easy because you stay in the corner and you don't have to be too out there and you just have to crunch the numbers and go home. So mm -hmm. I didn't have to get too close to homelessness in that role. 
But then God called me out to the director of development role. And I remember when I was contemplating the job, I was like, oh, that's a big job because that's fundraising. That's got to raise the money. It's easier to count it <laughs> than to raise it. And when he called me out of that job, um, I took the job. I, I really struggled with it again because I also knew that now I needed to be more publicly out there. And I'm not, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> I don't like to be that person publicly out there. I was fine being the accountant. And um, I took the job. And then a week later, um, the Canadian Council for Christian Charities, I had toured um, their uh, executive director, John Pello, through the mission. And I'd shared a little bit of my story. I try to share my story to get people to relate it to the people they're seeing story because mm -hmm. I, I understand it so well. And um, he called me and he says, I'd like you to share your story at our national conference. It's being held in Winnipeg. And I was like, what? I've never shared my story in public. Like, are you kidding me? I don't want to do that. Like, and I didn't want to do it. But God, again, is pushing me out. I never wanted to be a public speaker, but he pushed me out and he said, you need to share this and you need to give the glory to me because it's mine. And I was like, mm. you're right. It's not about me. It's about what you do through me. And you are the hero of my story. And people need to know. So at that conference, right after I shared my testimony, and I was a keynote speaker. It was a 45-minute presentation. I was, I was terrified, terrified. <laughs> there were like 600 people in the room. Mm. Tim Coles comes walking up to me, and he says, I'm the executive director of Youth for Christ. He says, I just want to meet your husband because he's got to be the happiest man in the room. And he looked over and saw my husband. And he goes, yep, there he is. Mm. <laughs> and I just remember going, man, there's a guy who is full of the joy of the Lord. And wherever he's working, which was Youth for Christ, I think I, I need to be there someday. I didn't know when because I was quite happy at my job. I just knew that I needed to work there one day after meeting him. And, and here's a real amazing God moment in my life. One of the turning points when I was 13, 12 was my mom taking me to a church to um, all four of us. We were in the midst of our druggy lifestyle. Like we were, we were lost children. And she made us go to this church in Bradenton to have a pastor lay hands on us. And we were all in shock, like, why are you taking us to this church to have this guy lay hands on us, you know? And they're praying for us and casting the uh, evil spirits out of us. And we're like, what? We have evil spirits? Like, we're clueless. I find out years later that it was Billy Graham who laid hands on us. No freaking way. Right? <laughs> what? And, and then I yeah. find out that not only am I going to work for Youth for Christ, but Billy Graham was our first pastor. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. only God can do that. Only God can, Ooh. right, Make so, plant those seeds and then how, how time harvests those seeds, right? Wow. Because yeah. the next thing I know, I'm looking for a job. The director of development is open at Youth for Christ. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'll take it. That would be great. Um, it was just, it's all God. It's all God. And I hope, I hope when you, I mean, we haven't talked about the book. I, I shared a little bit, but I hope you read it and see God because mm. he's everywhere. He's everywhere.
Oh my goodness. You are a motivator. Jen and I are just sitting here like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's so, it's so cool to hear. Oh my goodness. And and those aren't coincidences. Those are God incidences. Yeah. I call them God incidences because you clearly know he's working. And now I just feel like we're, we're on the right track. Youth for Christ mm-hmm. is like a best kept secret across Canada and we're doing great things with young people and it really is kingdom work. Oh, that's beautiful. That's mm-hmm. all I have to say. <laughs> uh, what have been the biggest joys and challenges in serving at YFC? You know, my, I know my greatest joy is when I can see somebody who comes in with a preconceived notion about what you do who you work with, the judgment of who they are, you know, just get a job or, you know, these kids are troublemakers. They're just um, out of control. And when I look at Youth for Christ, these are just young people. They're, they're, They're looking to us to teach them, to help them. And if we turn our backs on them, then we have, they go down the wrong path and it destroys our society. We deserve that because we're the ones who are supposed to be teaching and mentoring them. We're the ones who are supposed to be holding them their hands and walking them through the challenges, not ignoring them and saying, oh, they're just a bunch of rough kids. You know, and that's what they thought of us. They thought of us as a bunch of rough kids. Um, and we were rough. We were rough because we had no stability at home. So for me, the joy is, when somebody is done coming through our building or coming through and learning about what we do in ministry, that they take it back home and they want to be a better person. It inspires them to want to help their neighbor. It inspires them to want to make a difference everywhere they go. That's my joy, to be able to pass that on to others, the importance of caring and loving people and not looking at the outside, but getting to know through relationship the inside. I know when we were growing up here in my community, um, my house was the community center because I had four kids. Nobody wanted four kids. So everyone came to my house and that was okay because I got to sow good seed into all of the youth that came over to my house. Oh, I could go on and on. <laughs> I could. My, I, I'll, I'll share one story. I don't, my neighbor across the street, it was May long weekend. And I don't, I didn't know them that well. I didn't know them at all, actually. I just knew them as the neighbors across the street. They had quite a few young kids coming in and out, whatever. Um, But because my kids are older, we just didn't click with the bonding, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it was May long weekend, and something happened. And we found out that her son had committed suicide. She was at the lake. My husband and I were here, and he was up and he was looking across the street. He says, "Uh Oh, honey, I think there's something wrong. Like something's going on across the street. And the next thing he knows, he sees the ambulance. He sees the fire department. Then he sees, you know, the morgue come and take the the young man out. He was only 22 young guy, May long weekend. Now everyone May long weekend, I'm sitting here in my, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm like horrified. Like this is my neighbor. And this significant incident just happened across the street. So I want to do something. Joe says, wait, you know, let things settle. 
my heart wants to just run over there and love on her, but I knew that wasn't the right thing to do either because she was processing. And all I could think was everyone here is away for the week and nobody knows this is happening because the entire block was gone. They went to the lake. So her life just got completely ripped apart and not one person knows about it mm. but me because I happened to be home this weekend. And so I waited about four or five days and finally I said, honey, I can't take it anymore. I says, I got to do something. So I ordered Champ's chicken and a bunch of food and pizzas and I had um, skip the dishes, send it over there and I'm like, okay, I did something, you know, like we all need to feel like we're doing something. Well, an hour later, her and her husband walk over and we meet for the first time. Hi, I'm the neighbor across the street. And I said, yeah, I know. I says, I'm so sorry. I know you're going through a hard time. She says, how did you know? And I said, how did I know what? She says, well, my son was just going into the fridge and we had a whole bunch of company over because we were going through the funeral stuff. And he was hungry and we had no food in our fridge. And all of a sudden the doorbell rings and in comes all of this food. She says, I just want to thank you. She says, you were a lifesaver today. She says, I had all this company and I just haven't had time to go grocery shopping. And we cried together and we wept and it was just a real solid moment. So I'm thinking, okay, now I've got a woman who's grieving and I want to reach out to her. How do I reach out to her? So I go to um, Ryan, who's give the word. He's a ministry in our in our um, work, and he gives out Bibles. I says, Ryan, do you have a Bible on on something that would help somebody through the death of a child through suicide? He says, Yeah, I've got the perfect one. So we went through, and I marked all the pages. I kept thinking, Not today, not today, not today. Finally, I walked over there. It was like God said, okay, go get the Bible. Let's go. Okay, I get the Bible. I hang it on her door. I bring it over there. She comes over to me the next morning. She's running across the street. She goes, how did you know? And I'm like, what? She says, yesterday was my son's birthday, and I woke up to find your Bible in my mailbox. That's the God we serve. That is the God we serve. I had no idea. But obviously, all of these little things were getting her through a challenging time. And that was, I, I didn't know that she needed food. And I, you know what I mean? Like, those are just things that we can do if we just watch and wait. Watch and wait. Because God will tell you when. But your heart has to be open to being willing to do the work. Right? Mm -hmm. And then he'll, he'll tell you, okay, now's the time now go now and when you do it he always rewards you with a little extra yeah it was his birthday and she says and I was so depressed but when I found that bible it just made my day that's not part of my story or anything but it's just part of being a good neighbor mm -hmm. yeah there's so much we can learn from that right right I mean it's like it's just the little things and and I think mm -hmm. that's what I try to break my my story into was it wasn't the big things that happened in my life it was every little thing that added to every little thing and we can all be that impact of hope whether it's a coffee or a smile or um, a meal or a word of encouragement those are things 
that people cling to. Um, and, you know, at the end of my book, I, I, and I believe this with all my heart, I always say, when we get to heaven and we sit on our father's knee, we're going to go, Father, Father, look what I did. I did this. I had this job. I, I traveled the world. I had this beautiful house. I had this amazing husband. I raised these beautiful children. And God's going to go, yes, yes. I wanted you to have all those things. I wanted to bless you. And he's going to say, because what really, really impressed me was when you did that. And it'll be that small act of kindness that we did, you know, without thinking for someone in need. And he will show us that person, and then he will show us their their children and their children's children, and we'll see a harvest as far as the eye can see. He's going to say, what really impressed me was when you did that, because when you did that, you changed generations of lives by your act of kindness and by the good thing that you did for that person. And we're, we're thinking it's got to be something grand. And in his kingdom, mm -hmm. he's saying, no, it's every little thing. By loving mm -hmm. your neighbor, that's what changes the world. Amen. Oh my goodness. I feel like I am just learning and being convicted of so many things and just also looking at how simply loving and kind God's kingdom is. I just love that. Um, we want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your book. We've gotten a few hints and sneak peeks here and there, uh, but we just want you to give the opportunity to share what is your book, what is it about, and why do we all want to read it? Sure. So the book is called By the Grace of God Go We. Um, it was written because um, my siblings and I, as I shared earlier, were broken apart at a very young age. We only had two family reunions ever in our lives. The first one was in 1987. Uh, and at that time, we just wanted to have fun, get together, have fun. You know, we went through this horrible thing, the thing that shall not be named. Um, we're just having a good time. But in 2014, we got together again. And now we're older and wiser. And for the first time, we sat around. Um, everyone came to Canada, and everyone went to our cabin. And we shared our testimonies for the first time of what had happened to each one of us. We were, yeah, we were, wow, that happened to you. Wow, that happened. Oh, my goodness. And we're all still alive. And we're all in ministry. And we all love the Lord. And we all are so joyful, so happy. Like, we think this is a joke. What, like, the enemy's tried so hard to beat us up, and he did not win. Jesus won. Um, anyway, so we're, we're sharing it, and I said, well, we should write a book. Like, if we each wrote a chapter, we'd have a book. And everyone's like, yeah, we should. And then six months later, my brother passed away, my oldest brother, and it was a sudden traumatic incident, and the book kind of got put to the wayside until I was in between jobs. And I said to God, if I could take off eight months, I'll write the book. And he gave me eight months to write the book. And I wrote the book and I took all of their stories, all of their testimonies. I interviewed them. What you see in the book is raw material of their testimonies at the same time as I'm sharing my testimony. So it's seven, seven stories my one of my sisters elected not to be a part of it, which is totally fine. But it's seven stories of what happened during those years and how God just worked everything out to his good for mm -hmm. each and every one of us and how it was, 
it was people in our lives who helped make a difference, but then it was our choice to follow Jesus that changed our lives forever and transformed it to above and beyond anything we can imagine. And, you know, my little brother in Florida, who um, I like to call my baby brother, he's a multimillionaire today. All of my brothers are successful in doing well. My sisters are all successful in doing well, and they're all serving in ministry. And it's by the grace of God that it's happened. So the book is called By the Grace of God Go We. And it can be bought in, you can order it in any Christian store. You can order it from Amazon. You can order it from um, just about anywhere that books are sold. Uh, you just have to know the name of the book and even the author, Judy Ricci. Um, and then if you're in Winnipeg, I have books available for sale. You can come get one from me because I do much better if I sell it myself. And my goal is really just to pay off the investment of the book and then let God do God. Um, I felt called to do it. Uh, there's a lot of little lessons in there. I think if you're in ministry, if you work with youth, if you work with um, uh, anybody, I think you can get something out of the book. I think mm -hmm. I try to go, I try to tell the story from a child's perspective and what the needs are and what the, what the challenges are for the child or the parent or the situation and how people can be a part of the solution in each and every instant hmm. so that we can all feel empowered to make a difference because I believe we all can. Mm -hmm. And it all starts, the messages in the story is to love God and love your neighbor. Um, and I believe, you know, those are the two commandments God gave us that if we did that, we can transform the world. If we really break it down into each of us owning the relationships that come our way and making an impact and a difference. Even the store clerk that you walk into with a big smile, it could change her day. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So far, I've had really good reviews. It's um, a lot more in-depth in the book than what I've shared today. Um, mm -hmm. So let the, let the buyer beware. It's real yeah. though, and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. I can't change it, um, mm -hmm. but I think we can learn from it. So go buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Judy, thank you so much. Again, having you share your story, being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story in all its rawness. I, it's just a huge honor to have you here. And for you to be able to sit in this position of, of advocating for people who are homeless and advocating for what we do at YFC yeah. is, is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, as you're sharing your story, God's faithfulness and your, um, yeah, it, it's uh, no <laughs> words, <laughs> no words. Um, so thank you. To wrap up our conversation, I think we could chat for hours and hours and hours and hours, which <laughs> hopefully someday we'll be able to meet in person. Please. But what is the best piece of advice you have been given? Mm, trust. Trust mm. in the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Um, I think, you know, when we go through our most challenging times and we can't do anything, that's when God can do everything. So never mm -hmm. give up and always press into him. Um, I remember when COVID hit, the whole world was falling apart and I was like, I'm just going to press into God. 
Like, this is a great opportunity to press into God. And so I worshiped every day, and I prayed every day, and I praised every day, and that got me through COVID. Rather than listen to all the bad news, focus on the good news. Focus on the good things that are happening and and really um, be intentional about um, looking at the positive. Um, when I look at my life, my younger life, there wasn't a lot of positives, but I hung on to each one that was there. Eventually, those positives overcome all the negatives, and there's so much positive you can't contain it when you have a relationship with Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So follow him. Be obedient. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to give it all to him. Don't be afraid to be obedient. He called me out and challenged me in a lot of areas that I felt inadequate, unable to, maybe not willing to, but I did it anyway, and he's never let me down. Judy, I just kind of been sitting in this place of awe and wonder of who our God is and the work that he's done in your life. I feel like a broken record, but his <laughs> faithfulness and goodness in your life has not come with challenges for you, um, but he's still good. And so thank you so much for joining us. To be a part of the YFC family with you is a huge honor and gift. And so, yes, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. And hopefully, again, we will be able to meet you in person someday. That would be great. And, and you know, congratulations to you two young ladies for, for getting into ministry early and mm. having that already. Like it took me a long time to get there because of um, the challenges I had in my life. But boy, when you get it as young as you, I can't wait to see where you go with him and, <laughs> and the journey you're going to be on with your families. And, you know, wow, congratulations, because... <laughs> You're making a good choice very young. <laughs> well, oh, thanks thank so you. much. <laughs> and thank you for being here. It's been great. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a Monday episode. And if you want to follow us along and get more resources, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Just Work Friends. So until next week. Bye-bye. Go buy Judy's book. Woo. <laughs> have a Do great it. week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>